you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. true crime podcast did you also know that thrilling adventure hour started up again i did not i have not listened to it as a podcast i have not listened to it yet but there's a new but they swear let's see i think it's actually is it in no 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 no, no. okay hang on once again in my stacks of short stacks of comics by me is it yes so there's a new forever dog podcast network uh, so I picked up Hexwives last week. Can't rec- recommend it this week because it was last week. But by Ben Blacker. So there's an ad, and it says, um, "So there's this Forever Dog Podcast Network, and they are available on Apple Podcasts, and it's got a bunch of different things. Um, Treks in the City, so Star Trek from the from a feminist perspective, uh, Teen Creeps, uh, Race Chaser. So there's a couple of people from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. And then it has yeah. a big box that says, Coming soon, Halloween 2018, the long-awaited return of Ben Acker and Ben Blacker's hilarious, critically acclaimed, old-time radio-style podcast. I'm looking at their website right now. Yeah. Forever. So I know they've done oh. sporadic performances like charity from- and so forth over the last couple of years, but uh, I had seen Mark Evan Jackson uh, tweet something about having returned to the role of Sparks Nevada Excellent. after so many yeah. years off. So it's real. So no, it's this, their branding it says is. a new time podcast in the style of old time radio, triumphant return, Sparks Nevada, beyond belief, your favorite thrilling personas, plus brand new thrilling tales, new guest stars and new writers, a bold new sound. Created by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. Yeah, what I haven't seen is any. You know, I get the newsletter from the theater that they used to perform at, and I haven't seen any any mention there of them. Well, but, they're on uh, Spotify too. Yeah, they're yeah. on all, Google Google Play. They're on all of it. So, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I have to shen- I have to I have to send you a photograph. I forget it. Never mind. I'll, it'll be much more interesting when you don't know about it. Huh? Yeah. So what did I just say? I didn't say anything. Goodbye. Um, shall we start? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes trying to follow your conversations when you've been working hard all day. It's uh, yeah. Okay. Me too. Uh, yeah. So, Hey, this is, (laughs) this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com and sitting across from me virtually. I'm actually staring at a white wall, but, uh, across from me, it's a fair representation. I think you you are a white wall. That's I am. I'm mm. a blank slate. Rick Mm. Brett Snyder. Tabula Brett Schneider. Yes. Podcast producer extraordinaire. We are in different places uh, across the state of California. 
I'm in Los Angeles. Rick is in the Brett Cave, which, of course, is somewhere in the greater Silicon Valley. We can say no more than that. Uh, but uh, we thank you for tuning in. For We don't say tuning in, do we? But thank you for listening. And uh, if you are listening to this podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Twitter or your whatever favorite podcatcher. Although I think that word has now passed out of favor is uh, podcatcher, podcast network, podcast provider. I don't know. Somebody write in and tell me what what the kids are saying today, these days. Anyway, uh, certainly tell your friends uh, and subscribe if you can, because then they know. Hey, people are enjoying the Fanboy Planet podcast. I know it sounds desperate when I say it, but. It sounds desperate to me, too, but I, but it's how, how it works, people. It's how it works. You can, of course, find each and every podcast as well hosted on fanboyplanet.com. We also ask that if we talk about something on this podcast or any other podcast uh, on Fanboy Planet that you would like to own for your very own, a book, a DVD, something like that, a toy perhaps, and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, you can use the handy-dandy Amazon search box, which is on each and every page of fanboyplanet.com in the sidebar. And sometimes through the podcast, we do provide direct links on the page of the podcast to you know, when we when we call it out. So you can go that way as well. We get a small affiliation kickback from Amazon to help uh, defray the cost of hosting the podcast and running the site. So you can do that through Amazon. Of course, we're also affiliated with ThinkGeek. If there's something at ThinkGeek, you can use one of the ads on the side, search box there. Uh, then we also get a small remuneration there. Uh, ThinkGeek always has something cool, and Christmas is coming, but Rick and I will talk about that later after yeah, the podcast. Yeah. And, uh, of course, if you would just like to help, uh, you can go to PayPal and donate on the email address editor at fanboyplanet.com, which is, of course, the best w- way to communicate directly. If you want, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page, Fanboy Planet. You can tweet us at Fanboy Planet. It's simpler this way. And Instagram at Fanboy Planet. Uh, there are some photos that show up there that are not on the site or, or on the podcast pages either. Just kind of little geeky things that show up and go, hey, this was cool. Post there. So certainly you can go there. And uh, so I'm also going to say, of course, if you would like to, if you live in Southern California, and I don't know if this is going up, how, how soon this episode is going up, but if this is, you're hearing this on on or before Saturday, November 10th, the I Was Flesh Gordon book tour, mini book tour, begins on Saturday, November 10th in San Diego at the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore. We, uh, Jason Williams, the actor who starred in Flesh Gordon, and Derek McCaw, that's me, hey, uh, the editor-in-chief of Fanboy Planet, uh, who co-wrote this book, uh, will be signing at 4 p.m. at Mysterious Galaxy. Details can be found at mystgalaxy.com. Very cool bookstore. Earlier this week, they had Brandon Sanderson there, and I feel like, oh, we really went downhill coming to bringing Fanboy Planet and after Brandon oh, Sanderson, geez. but... Nah, you know, it's cool. It's a very active store, uh, you know, and really cool events there all the time. So uh, I have not actually been in the physical store yet. I'm very excited to go on on Saturday. As well, we are doing a screening and signing at the Comic Bug in Manhattan Beach on Saturday, November 17th at 9 p.m. That's thecomicbug.com in Manhattan Beach. Great comic shop, uh, co-owned by Mike Wellman, who is the co-creator of the really cool comic book series, Guns Ablazin, 
And on Sunday, November 18th, we will be wrapping up our little book tour at Dark Delicacies in Burbank. That's Sunday, November 18th at 4 p.m. D-A-R-K-D-E-L dot com for further details. Hey, just a second. So yeah. that, that comic bug thing on November 17th at 9 p.m.? Mm-hmm. So you're going to do a screening there? So the movie, you're going to show Flesh Gordon? We are going to show Flesh Gordon. So, so is there a charge for that? It's, it's they... the comic book comic bug after dark no i as far as i know they're not charging admission for it we just uh, you know hope that people want to buy the book afterwards and get it signed cool so free movie free movie yeah yeah and it's a movie that's not really easy to get a hold of now right now uh no because i can tell you that dark delicacies tried they told me they were trying to get copies to sell at the store and uh yeah i mean you can find it at amazon but the but the distributors don't have it right now. I think right. that you know something is going on, uh, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of that as well as to just see like, are they planning to do some kind of anniversary edition? Because you know it is an important movie, but I think it's just been treated as kind of silly, and it is silly. Steel it is a box. fun movie, uh, steel book, right? Yeah. Uh, Shout Factory. No, I don't. I know nothing. I honestly <laughs> don't know anything about that, but. Um, it is kind of weird because, you know, this movie I, I always had uh, an affection for and memory and then working on the book sort of becomes like this. Oh, yeah, you know, it is really cool. And there are some really interesting things to it. And what I'm finding is, you know, because everybody that worked on it is, you know, they're they're older. Um, they're just kind of like, OK, the rights are out there. And now I'm kind of trying to track it down to just say I, I doubt that I will make any money off of doing that. But I want to convince somebody to treat it better than it is than it's being treated you know so but we will be showing it and that's cool and uh so also jason will be bringing uh poster replicas and uh stills from the film you know and not i it's not right to say lobby cards eight by tens but you know uh glossy eight by tens he's put up a, with scenes from the movie uh and he'll be charging for signatures there and so i will not uh but if anybody wants to bring like uh uh, Bela Lugosi's Tales from the Grave or Greatest American Hero and in comics I've written I'm certainly happy to sign those as well at no extra charge whatsoever uh, so anyway uh, we do have a sponsor uh, this week and I, besides me uh, and that is the Audacity Performing Arts Project last year we had uh, Louis Stone Cologne the head of the Audacity Performing Arts Project on the podcast to talk about this and they're doing this again it's a performing arts nonprofit in the silicon valley that supports and develops after school performing arts productions and workshops for the poorest uh underfunded and lowest performing silicon valley public schools so in those neighborhoods that really can and, and those districts that can't afford to do arts programs and we know uh, you know, obviously people who have listened to this podcast for a long time know that uh, arts education is very near and dear to my heart. I worked for a long time as an arts educator and before I uh, sold out to the man. And, but, uh, but it is super crucial to the development of children's minds and the creativity and so forth. And a lot of schools just can't afford to do it. So the Audacity Performing Arts Project comes in there and we talked about it last year, but they're having another fundraiser. And that is on November 27th. If you are in Santa Clara or near Santa Clara, California, it's time to go to Elusive Comics and Games and or their sister store, Isle of Gamers. They're in two different locations. Uh, Elusive Comics and Games is in the Franklin Mall in Santa Clara. And I don't know what they call that, the Target Center on El Camino in Santa... No, 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 no. no, no. no. The no. Moonlight Center. Moonlight They're Center. They're in the Moonlight Center. Sorry. 
Yeah. Uh, the Moonlight Center in Santa Clara on Named El Camino. Named after the drive-in that's no longer there. That's no sad. There was also, well, the Cinema 150, but there was a, a two-screen theater back behind there as well. Right, right. I saw Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger there. Anyway, mm-hmm. but let's not spiderweb there. It's Isle of Gamers and, and Elusive Comics and Games. Uh, so Comics, Games, and Funko Pops. And, uh, of course, Isle of Gamers is Games, Games, Games. Anyway, a portion of all sales at both stores on that day, November 27th, will be donated to the Audacity Performing Arts Project. And I'm also, I uh, was talking with Lewis and I said I, I will gladly also put up a link to their Facebook page. And certainly you can donate separately, just donate money to them. And, you know, we've got in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably have our, our Christmas gift recommendation or our holiday gift recommendation guide. And, and every year we talk about donating to charities and to nonprofits that are doing good work. And I, I do feel strongly that the Audacity Performing Arts Project does incredibly good work. And, and I was lucky enough that a lot when I was teaching that many of my students went to work for them and it kind of became sort of the the social service that you need to perform uh, for school hours. But also I've seen a few of my students go on to become working theater professionals as a result and directing shows for this program. And they post photos on their, on their Facebook page. And I just see like, you see these little kids getting their first taste of, of stage experience and, and backstage experience and learning to work together as a community and it's wonderful work so uh november 27th that's uh, the, the monday i believe it's the monday after thanksgiving so check it out anyway so let's go so yeah, go ahead you mentioned you mentioned how um it's important that people tell other their friends about uh about the podcast and i just came up with a contest that i'm going to sponsor and that is any user any listener who said, i fight for the users though i who, totally fight I, for the users yes indeed uh, any listener who will host a Fanboy Planet podcast listening party and send us a picture of you and your friends enjoying one of our podcasts. You have to be enjoying it. We will we will post the picture on the website and you will get a cash value prize sent to you if you're not in Wait, town. Wait, careful. That's an interesting legal question. What do you mean by a cash value prize, Rick? You're something coming up that, with this off the cuff. Something that, can't, that would cost money if you wanted to buy it. Is it something from the Brett Cave collection? And undoubtedly. Which, you know, I am not, I, I'm not denigrating that at no, all. Because no, no. having podcasts many times from the Brett Cave, uh, there are some amazing uh, items there. And I, I think absolutely, that, I, I'm sure that whatever you choose uh, to donate as a cash value prize would be magnificent. So, yes, nice. I, I think that's great. So, so send, of course, send your photograph to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And yes. uh, you need to give us, you need to give us permission to, uh, to post that, to reproduce that in, uh, on our website. And, uh, the best one we get, or maybe the best two we get, who knows, uh, we'll win a prize. It depends on how much stuff Debbie says. You've got to get out of the house. Oh yeah. We're in that process yeah. right now. Oh, well, we won't talk about that on the podcast, but maybe afterwards. Anyway, so we got a little bit of comics news, a little bit of movie news, a little bit of TV news. Uh, I feel like a lot of TV news. I've been trying to be a little more concise, but a lot of stuff has happened in the last week for TV that is super exciting for me, me, and I'm sure for Rick, and I'm sure for our listeners. Uh, But also, uh, last weekend was the LA Comic Con, and 
I just want to say, so I've got some interviews, and we'll be playing those out over the next few weeks. But, you know, I went last year, we had some interviews from there. I'm going to say that this is an incredibly great event. And to me, if you're looking to, you know, I keep saying, I I want to do some kind of, like, comparison article about sizes of Comic-Cons. Like, uh, in the Silicon Valley, we recently had the Campbell con and we're going to talk a little bit later about uh, the Santa Clara library. I know has been doing uh, a library con and I think these are great. And I heard that the Campbell con this year, I I didn't get get to go. I went last year. It was very, very small and it's good if you know, you have little kids and they just want to really explore Um, not to confuse though, that, you know, when we talk comic con international in San Diego, that's this huge, huge event, but LA comic con really felt like, it's the right size. If you want a taste of what a huge comic con convention is without actually being at a ridiculously huge convention. That's huge. Not ridiculously huge. Right. It was big. It was not overwhelming. Let me phrase it that way. You know, I, and, and maybe this is just me sounding like a cranky older man. You know, the older I get, the more, packed you know when i go to these events that are just crowd 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 it it stops being as fun and yeah yeah i don't get to really stop and really talk with people and do the parts of it that really energize me why i go and you don't have to go for the same reason many people love going to the panels and hearing people talk and just you know attending that but i think la comic-con really has it right and I just, I'm, I'm afraid that it's, you know, as all conventions do, they grow bigger and bigger each year. And uh, I, I hope it, as it grows, it doesn't lose the feeling that it has. The way the con- LA Convention Center is, is laid out, though, it's quite possible that panels can kind of dissipate the crowds a bit. But their space was great. And they do a really, really cool thing. And I, and I have photos and I need to post an article. I just... Uh, haven't had a chance yet where actually the main stage events, you know, what would be sort of the hall H things, which they don't have a hall H that's reserved for, you know, San Diego or New York, but they had the cast of the run, uh, the runaways. Oh man, I am the old man. Uh, they had the cast of runaways. They had the cast of eight it's cast members from agents of shield. Uh, and a few other things. There was uh, something about uh, Godzilla as well. Uh, the, the Godzilla King of the Monsters legendary came to the presentation. That stage is in the middle. Last year was at the end, but it, it's in the middle of the exhibit hall. So the main panel is basically there for people to walk in and out and just be there and hear it. And it's kind of, And I don't know why I like it that so much but it just feels like, oh, it draws people into, if you've never sat, if you have a kid who's never gone to a panel, this is the way to almost trick them, you know? (laughs) We're just, oh, look at the comics. Oh, oh, look, there's a person from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or a runaway. I don't know what what the kids would be, have been watching, but, you know, it was a really cool thing to go, oh, let's just hear them talk for a while, you know? And so I, I love that. Plus Legion M had this huge booth set up right there, front of it and they had a little mini stage and so there were people talking as well so they were doing little mini panels on the floor and it was actually really easy to hear and uh, i'm just i i do just love this convention i went last year and was like oh it's okay and this year i really really 
fell in love with it and thought, yeah, this is the right, you know, if you, if you really want to experience it, this is not overwhelming. This is good. Plus you still, you meet up with so many local creators and there's a, a real sense of the local community as well, which I enjoyed, you know, and we'll have interviews uh, in the coming episodes too, at least one from SAC Anime in Sacramento, same thing, of a convention where it's really, I think that Comic-Con International does this as well. They have booths for things that are happening in San Diego and are part of the local community, but they get lost on an exhibit floor that's too big. And I think at, the, at this level, seeing like what's happening in community action, like libraries, literacy programs, and so forth, those kind of things, chair, uh, nonprofits as well get to get to display. And it's easier to find them in a small one and find out, hey, what's going on in your community? What fan groups are going on in your community? It's easier to find, whereas I think at Comic-Con, you really have to know what, that you're looking for them to find them right. and to discover yeah. them. You know, So uh, I think I, I've, I've geeked out enough about how much I enjoyed the event itself. But, of course... As I say, one of the things that I really enjoy is discovering uh, new books, meeting new creators. And so this is an interview, and I apologize in advance because I will say this, it is loud. And <laughs> so uh, it, it, there's a lot of you know background noise. Uh, but I did uh, run into the creators uh, of, a, of a new book. Its uh, fourth issue comes out next week, I believe, uh, called Oddwell. That's O-D-D-W-E-L-L. And it is a fantasy story about a cybernetic frog warrior, although clearly his cybernetics are magically powered, who is tasked to save a sickened, because clearly somebody has cast a magic spell, a sickened fairy princess in their kingdom. And his best friend... uh, is from a legion of flies, which I find really just kind of funny that the fly and the frog are friends. And it's, it's played wonderfully overdramatically. It's a great kid's book. And I, I just haven't, you know, actively looked because my kids are older now, but, but it was one I told them, I think off the record is, you know, that it, when I read it, uh, I read the first issue and went, Oh, I wish this book had come out 10 years ago when my kids would have been absolutely enchanted. They may still be, but they would have been absolutely enchanted by this book. And it's from Starburns Industry. And we were just talking about that. When we say Starburns, it's the car- the the producer who turned actor accidentally in Community with Starburns, the person at at uh, Greendale College with the star shaped sideburns, and he started a comic book company. And so the creators are David A. Clark and Walter A. Bryant III, and I talked to their editor, Cedric Michael Harris, and why I think, Rick, you're going to be of interest is they are also developing a board game out of, a tabletop game, out of the book, because apparently it'll play into the later issues of the book, and so I saw they had the prototype laid out on their table, and said, okay, we got to talk about this. So, uh, without further ado, David A. Clark, Walter A. Bryant III, and... Series editor Cedric Michael Harris for Oddwell. Hey, we are at LA Comic Con with the creators of Oddwell from Starburn Industry Press. Uh, and maybe you are familiar with it if you picked up the uh, Starburn's book on Free Comic Book Day. So let me make sure I get everybody's full names. We're with uh, Walter Bryant. 
Walter Walter Bryant, David Clark, Cedric Harris. And Cedric, you're the editor, is yes. that okay? Just make sure. And Walter and David are the writers. co-writers of Oddwell and creators. And, well, okay, creators. Well, <laughs> the artist is not here. You can't, you know. Oh, no, no, no. We told her <laughs> with the draw. <laughs> Right. Okay, yes. maybe, uh, I can't edit this out. It's out there with the universe. <laughs> I hope you have a good relationship. Anyway, uh, because, I, yes. Uh, so this is a, an interesting, I'll go with fantasy story about a frog warrior. And I, and I, I was just saying, I, I just picked up the free comic book day one out of the back of my car. Like, you know, I'd have this big stack. And I went, oh, I'll, I'm trying to read this this week. And that creepy story was interesting with this fly warrior searching for the frog. That had me intrigued. Like, why is that? And then I picked these up here at LA Comic Con. So first, what's your inspiration for writing this fantasy <laughs> about a frog warrior whose best friends are flies? Well, okay, so the, here, here, here's how it happened. Uh, last year, we were driving back from, I think, WonderCon, and Walter and I were falling asleep. And we were trying to, to tell each other... I was driving. I was driving, we were driving <laughs> okay. but I was still falling asleep. And we were trying to figure out a way to stay awake. And so we were trying to come up with some new stories, whatever. And then we got a text from Walter's aunt that said, Don't worry, I know you guys will do well. But she misspelled do well as odd well. And I was like, Dude, a frog. Oh no, you said a frog. Yeah. And I was like, The frog of war. And then about five minutes later, it was we this. had this whole story. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, so he's a, a cybernetic frog of war in a fantasy world. He has a. a an arm, yeah, yeah. 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 a robotic robot arm, and no one questions where the robot arm came from. It just, it just happens. Right, just, no, no, no. just exists it, in the it, world it, it of fantasy. Well, no, but that's what I, I, I liked. That I'm only two issues in, and um, the third issue just came out, and then the fourth is the fourth will be coming in, out in a couple weeks, in November, weeks, couple of weeks. second okay. Wednesday of November. Okay, and uh, so what I like is in some of the best fantasy for me is at this point. Do we need an explanation? <laughs> right. This is just it. But, right. but it was interesting to me that you've got this frog, this fly, and then he's saving, he's fighting for the of this for the princess. mostly human princess. She, she is a fairy princess. A fairy princess. Yeah. Uh, F-A-E-R-I-E. Okay. Fairy. The, the one it, that eats people. <laughs> oh. Okay. As, as yeah, you see, she's yeah. a warrior fairy. Not you can a, see, not hopefully a, you can you know, show your, your viewers, but we have a picture of her eating living chocolate bunnies. Now, granted, the chocolate bunnies are dicks, so they deserve it. Yeah, they, but, they are evil. They are <laughs> evil. But, but they she are. is not adverse to eating things that, that are alive. Yes. Okay. <laughs> She's and, cute. Yeah, all right. But you are deadly. And, and how did you fall in with Starburns? Um, well, we have a friend, um, and his... his uh, what his 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 coworker his coworker's yeah, his wife co- his coworker's wife a, worked there worked, yeah. and they passed along actually our book uh, Heroes Are Us and th- that got us in the door and uh, we started pitching uh, different projects to them and uh, we got Delirious one day came up with Oddwell and yeah. that one they liked and actually <laughs> and actually that that whole delirium made us go hey so what do you think they would like and then we were like so uh, what if we did this and this and like we basically said. If we didn't limit ourselves to anything, and we just decided, hey, let's just do whatever we thought was cool, what would we get? And we got this. And then, um, as like six months passed, and we didn't hear anything from them. And so they, they called us for a meeting one day, and they were like, hey, so we want to talk to you about Oddwell. And we're like, all right, cool. We put together a whole pitch package. We had we, 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 went, we had it all collated, and just all, like, it was, it was nice. It was yeah. a nice little book. Yep. And we got there, and he was like, yeah, we're doing this book. <laughs> that simple. Yeah, yeah, we're like, oh, 
Alright, so the forty dollars I spent at Kinko's was like okay, cool. Well, forty bucks, that's not bad. Yeah. And, uh, for your for a dream to come true. Right. But you know that is interesting. I, I after reading the first two issues, thinking, this is really an interesting children's book. I can't I can't get a handle on what Starburns ethos is. You know, it would be because I you read that preview and there's it's all over the place, which yeah. is cool. Right. I, I I love that. But that you're telling an absolute children's story. I hope I'm getting that right. It is. You know? yeah, it is. Because yeah. you've got flying dolphins that are interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, and the evil, and I, you know, I'm sure there's a metaphor that I'll figure out by issue five. Well, uh, yeah. uh, in February, the trade paperback is coming out, which collects issues one through five. On top of the issues one through five, there will be additional content. That will put a lot of things into perspective for everyone who's read the issues. Yeah. Okay, so I have to buy that as yes, well. Yes, you do. Not only if I'm going to buy it on a, on a monthly I mean, basis. You can, buy just, you can buy just the, the, the straight issues, and you'll understand the story. But if you buy the trade paperback, you'll get a deeper meaning from the story. Yeah. yeah. So. It'll add a whole other layer. So the artist is not here. Uh, Acacia Rodarte, you can yes. it, right? Yeah, she's in uh, ILK right now here at Artist Alley. Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, so... Were how did, did were you already working when you put that pitch package together? Was she part of that package? No, uh, no, n- not at the moment. But the the way we got her was I basically went to Facebook and said I need artists, <laughs> and a friend of mine had a friend who ended up being Acacia, and we and we, and we brought her on board. Yeah. And she's perfect for it. I she's mean, fantastic. What a, what yes. a great. It's a book that feels familiar and not at the same time, and, and it's, it's wonderful. And I, as I, I told you earlier, you know, I have this feeling. I, I wish this book had existed ten years ago, when my daughter was still—I guess had time. It's been, I'll be fair to her. Had time to read comics when she was nine. This would have been the book she would have devoured. You know, so thank you. So this is this is a wonderful book. And I hope try her on it anyway. <laughs> you know, I will. I try. I try. I'll see her at Christmas time. You know, she's out of college. But spinning out of this, you are beta test. You are developing a game. Yes. yes. Battle chess. And I'd be remiss if I don't mention this because I kind of... So I, what inspires you to, to spin a game out of Oddwell three issues in? Well, David is an avid... Uh, was it Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah, or, or I, I, played, more, I, played, I played a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh back in the day. And uh, for our other book, Heroes or Us, uh, years ago, I actually came up with a, a version of Battle Chess that we played... And, you know, I was worried that people wouldn't like it because they had a lot of math and a lot of strategy. But we had kids in, at the Tustin Library playing it for, like, four hours. Yeah, and, uh, and, they and loved then it. at another place they, uh, they were stealing it. Yeah, so, <laughs> that happened they, too. They, they stole pieces, <laughs> um, which are totally useless to anything other than that game. So, but they loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it, chess, card games, they're both staples of tabletop gaming. Yeah. And to to have have the ability to not only have cards, you know, have a card game, but then the mobility of chess. So let's say, let's describe it. You explained it much better than I can even hope to do here. What is Battle Chess as a game? Battle Chess is a card game, uh, 3D movement card game, I guess you could call it, where you have characters with different abilities that you can add to with support cards, where they can not only change the field, but also adapt uh, the attacks or defense of the characters, and then you move across the board. So each character has X amount of move spaces they can move, and as you move across the board, you use your support cards to help defeat your opponent. And I, I love that I get to move across the board and defeat my opponent with my cards instead of just like rooks and you know knights and stuff. I can actually like no, Oddwell uses exterminate and I take out Rufus, <laughs> and it's like. 
boom, you're gone, off the table. And it, it's uh, everything I like about card games mixed with tabletop. So Okay, and you will brand it to Oddwell, right? So, yes. Uh, so it's in beta. Yes. When do you think you're shooting for an actual... We're shooting for sometime next year. Probably around WonderCon. WonderCon, so... Uh, March, April? Yeah. April, March, yeah. Whenever it is this year. I I don't know. I I, I can't think that far ahead. (laughs) I'm barely making it to this convention. Okay, so you have our card. We will get back in touch with you with this game. I I don't know if we'll make it to WonderCon, but at least we'll talk about it. So, great. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, best of luck with this book. I love it. Thank you. And I I hope to hear about you and from you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you to all of them, and Great Guys is one of those things that I also discover when I go to a, a medium-sized con, is that everywhere I go then, I run into them. <laughs> like, we had the uh, AFAM panel on Sunday afternoon, walked out of that panel, and there they all were in the hallway. And said, hey! You know, it was kind of fun. So, uh, that's, uh, and then I'm afraid that they all think I'm stalking them now, because everywhere they go... <laughs> this guy keeps walking out of panel rooms going, hey, hi, how is it? So anyway, it was good. So let's talk about uh, a little bit of comics news. Yesterday was the first Library Con Live, which was an online event, and I think this is really cool, and it is comic-specific, and I really felt we should call this out even after we are talking about LA Comic Con. The Library Journal and School Library Journal held this event, a virtual con. The main audience was librarians. But it was open to to people if they if they knew about it. I'm hoping they'll do more. But I think the real idea that what they're trying to do is give libraries resources that they can hold their own community conventions. And like I said, you know, Santa Clara City Library, I know it's done that. I think the Menlo Park one up north, and I'm sure there are others that are doing it. But I really like the idea, especially as I don't know about you, but I see a lot of posts and I see a lot of chatter about what purpose does a library serve in the digital age and it's just to me like well what purpose a comic book store serves in a in a digital age is a, a, a sense of community a sense of belonging and a place for people to gather and I, I don't know when the last time you've walked into your local library was uh, I, I did a few months ago and I, now I can't even remember why I guess I donated some books and then I hung out like I went into the Sunnyvale library and went this is the corner where the science fiction was. It still is. This is exciting. <laughs> you know, uh, like I that's remember. exactly we had the last time I was in there. We were dropping off books for friends of the library. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you got to hang out because it's your people. You know, yeah. it's like it's it's one of the greatest places. So they're encouraged. They're pe- trying to give lo- local libraries uh, the resources to hold their events and so forth. But they also gave they had virtual exhibitor booths. So the major publishers were all there. Marvel, DC, I see Boom, Dark Horse, and uh, Diamond was involved. Uh, does that look like Ubisoft? Was it? Oh, Lion Forge. Uh, sorry, I just had the, the image up and it was small. And some other organizations. They had creators on to, ta- to do like virtual panels. And so I don't know how far that will extend. But if the possibility that creators could be brought in via video conference and they can still work from home and do a panel at a library, you know, on a video screen for 40 minutes. We've talked about that years ago. You know, that seemed to be like that was the promise of the future, that we'd be doing panels like that when Wizard World started theirs and Comic-Con HQ started up for Comic-Con. And it just didn't really come to fruition with those for-profit conventions, but 
perhaps the nonprofits will do it right because maybe you know it's easier to set up a webcam for a creator and to say, well, if it's it's for a library, you know, <laughs> we'll have our forty minute Q and A or whatever. And I I just think there's some cool possibilities with this. So Library Con Live, let us turn to pick of the week. We both got a chance to go to the comic shop this week. Yes. So, uh, what is what was your top book, or the or the book that you would most like to recommend, or the book that you would most like to hiss? Stay away. Oh, this is this is tough because I have two that I love right now. Um, I understand. I'm going to go and and unfortunately they're both kind of Halloweeny, uh, but uh, one, you know we're Halloweenies. It's yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, Issue number three of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, by uh, David Avalos. Oh, David Avalos right. would be so happy. Yes, uh, that you I, chose this book. No, is I think I've have chosen. Didn't I choose number one of this as well? I think you did, but I, I also know you have a soft spot for Elvira. I have a soft spot for Elvira, and um, David. It's fun to follow David on Facebook, and every now and then he'll talk about. He's trying to come up with some kind of phrasing or something. He was uh, last yeah. the second issue of this featured Edgar Allan Poe, I think it was, and he was talking about how he had to try and get into Poe's uh, verbal style or what he assumed ver- the verbal style was. Um, the the nice thing about this book, and uh, more actually than uh, he also worked, he also was the writer on the Betty Pages or Betty Page. Um, mm-hmm. Although I like why you know wasn't that a fanzine devoted to her the Betty, Betty pages? pages yes yeah um, by, uh, actually produced by uh, Dave Stevens um, back in the day creator so, of the Rocketeer creator yes. of the Rocketeer so people that don't know artist yeah. artist and creator yeah the mm-hmm. uh, so one one of the nice things about this is what makes Elvira so Elvira is all the um, double entendre puns that get thrown thrown about and. David is really he's right in the groove of uh both the the uh titles uh that are used and the sub chapters in the books and of course the way people talk and the way Elvira relates to in this case historical personages throughout throughout the years. So I'm not going to spoil anything on this other than just say it's it's a well illustrated book, it's it's a well written book, uh, a lot of fun. Uh Personally, it hits for me also because there's a Linzer uh, cover on, uh, you know, there are usually three or four different covers you can mm-hmm. get. And this one I, one I always pick up is the Linzer cover. Um, and uh, there's actually an announcement that uh, there's going to be a new Elvira series uh, coming in January called The Shape of Elvira, which which is uh, a, a parody of The Shape of Water. In what?! Elvira with a Gilman character. Oh, I'm I've aware. Always... Again, because I follow David on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And he says, hello. I ran into him on the last day of LA oh, Comic Con as well. Good. So, so um, yeah, that's my choice. That's pure and simple. A lot of fun fun book. Uh, oh, it's, I, it's, I don't know why you're so defensive about it. No, no. I, <laughs> I'm not defensive. I'm, I'm, I'm aggressively right. pushing this book. Yeah. All right. Yes. No, and, I, and I, I'm sure David appreciates it. Uh, so, I, you know, I am also torn. Uh, I thought there was a very interesting one. Uh, and I'm all for, by the way, for your recommendation saying, you know, to me, Halloween lasts all, all year round. It came too soon. It's gone too fast. And so I'm all for keeping it. I'm still I'm still watching my, 
you know, horror films and following up on things. But I think that I'm going to have to go a little mainstream uh, because it is, regardless, a beautiful book. And an interesting thing, perhaps, as it goes forward to have a discussion on how this works is uh, Grant Morrison, of course, one of my absolute favorite creators, and uh, Liam Sharp, who is one of my favorite people. He was, of course, one of the founders of co-founders of Madefire, the digital platform with the motion comics, uh, and a fantastic artist who, for years, I thought, why has he not gotten the mainstream recognition for how incredibly good he is? And then he drew Wonder Woman. And then did Brave and the Bold, which, by the way, I just uh, ordered the hardcover collection, which I threatened to do whatever when the first issue came out, saying, I know there will be one. Right. Uh, they have teamed for The Green Lantern, a reboot of – now, I shouldn't say reboot because the interesting thing that, of course, when Grant Morrison takes on a mainstream character, he says, nope, all the continuity is still there, no matter – what reality it's been <laughs> so, it's still there it's, it's just yeah, ignore yeah. big hunks of it uh no uh, so it even begins so it, it's focusing on hal jordan but i think by calling it the green lantern they're really kind of focusing on the idea of the core itself without calling it the core about what the image of the lantern itself means and it does uh after a strange adventure in outer space uh, involving a couple of core members that I've never seen before, and some I do know, like Tamar Ree is back, um, and he's bringing the Luck Lords and the Controllers, and you know it, it's interesting things from uh, from Green Lantern uh, lore. But then when he introduces Hal, they make reference to, oh, you know, here he is. He's been a toy salesman. He's been uh, something else, and how he can't seem to hold a job, which was a thing I remember from. This, I think it was the 70s and the 80s, like, you know, I would read these old stories where he was the test pilot and that was so solid and, and comfortable as part of, you know, the quick shorthand for who is Hal Jordan. But on Earth, he'd kind of been a drifter, and that's what Grant Morrison, uh, or not a drifter, unfocused in his job. And that's what Grant Morrison says he wants to explore, is that idea of how Hal Jordan can be the greatest Green Lantern of them all and still be kind of such so aimless when it comes to his civilian identity. And yeah. what does that matter when he's really one of the few people in the core who care about a civilian identity, who have that separation. So one fantastic art from, from Liam Sharp, of course, a new alien race uh, is introduced. It's a really fun story. I read people on, uh, uh, Oh, and there's also, there might be a reference to Dr. Manhattan, but um, there's, I've read people saying, oh, he's like up to his final crisis tricks. I'm like, no, this is really, this is really straightforward as a story, but he's just pulling in like what he did with his run on Batman. Anything that happened could still be relevant here. And I kind of appreciate these that are like, it rewards both people that are new readers to Green Lantern, but those who of us who have been around and read so many different incarnations and loved so many different eras, maybe not the parallax time, but <laughs> you know, the but have but found him a really cool character. And this is a really interesting reboot of it, and I'm sure it's already doing insanely well. But uh, I just I, I have to put it out there and recommend. Because one, it's fantastic artwork that once again, will be worth getting in a nice deluxe edition. But it's it's Grant Morrison, 
who you know is just he's one of my favorite writers and oh, when yeah. He, yeah. when he's writing in a way that that I don't feel like I have to read it four times to get what's going on <laughs> I'm grateful I put in the four times don't you get me wrong but uh, I am grateful when it sometimes you know sometimes he's just trying to tell a great straightforward interesting story and yes. so that's what this is yes so let's talk uh, movies a little bit. Most of the, most of the news today really is TV, but I did want to call out that Illumination Entertainment has been in the entertainment news a couple of times this week because they did just say that uh, I think Chris Melisandre is the guy who created Despicable Me, Gru, and the, and the Minions, uh, and is head of Illumination, which is owned by Universal, uh, which bought DreamWorks Animation a couple years ago, uh, and he's been tasked with uh, rebooting Shrek, and yet he's also saying it's not, it's not really a reboot. It's reviving. It's breathing new life. But you can't do it without Mike Myers. You can't do it without Antonio Banderas right, and right. Cameron Diaz. So, I, you know, I think there's some controversy. And I'm seeing that people going like, are you guys insane? But I'm like, no, 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 no. If it's just a Shrek 5, okay. But it's doing a, a new Shrek. Forget about the old Shreks. No. And... And I don't necessarily feel like Shrek has ever passed out of anybody's consciousness, you know, that, that you need a new one. But this is the nature of Hollywood, and whether you want to do it or not, whether you want it or not, it's going to happen. So uh, They could do Son of Shrek, you know? They, you know. Sons, right? Sons or of two Shrek. Son, two sons and a daughter? I, I don't think know. It's like, it's I, like, I, oh I'll my gosh, the first it's, one. It, it, it's like the sons of Katie Elder. Well, he has triplets. Okay. And uh, but I think we've only seen them as baby ogres. But uh, it's like the sons of Katie Elder. You can do it like exactly. a Western. Exactly. We just Shrek the next generation. Okay, I think we're on to something. I got to call yeah. my agent anyway. But the the more interesting thing in the synergy is that uh, they are also developing a Super Mario Brothers animated film. Interesting for me from the inside baseball perspective. Of, of course, Nintendo also owns Pokemon or co-owns Pokemon, right? Um, mm-hmm. And. And Warner Brothers has the rights. They're the ones doing Detective Pikachu. But but Universal Illumination is doing Super Mario Brothers. And I think that one of the comments on that was, oh, you know, because the plot of the games is rather thin. Now, I've never played. That's not actually true. No, not, I know. Not That's the latest the, games. You, <laughs> you, sir, were just trolled. Uh, <laughs> or ogred, if you will, for Shrek. Huh. But, that's, but that's exactly my reaction. It's like, uh, for people that love Mario, and I, I, you know, because I bought, the, I had the eight bit, so I played that, and yeah, that's probably sure. the last one I had played. But my my children both played Super Mario Party and Mario Kart and Super Mario Brothers, and of course they're in Super Smash Brothers Brawl. My my son is so. But none of those are the game. story titles. Like if you play the most recent one, which is Super Mario uh, Mario Odyssey, that's an amazing uh, game. And it's got a long, long time storyline, and well, but that's, a lot of that's my point. And... Everybody I know who's into the games can tell me so much continuity about it. That's and a great soundtrack too. I've, I've heard. I mean, literally not heard, but you know, I understand. Point is, there is a synergy coming, which is, of course, at the same time, Universal Studios is building a Nintendo Land in Universal City, so in the L.A. and I assume also out in the Orlando. Universal Studios, because, you know, sooner or later, that Islands of Adventure Marvel deal has to dry up. So they've got to, <laughs> they, you know, they've got to be ready Have for you been whatever. There? No, you, you know, every time we mention Orlando, you ask me that. And I, no. I, I, well, I, I never, you could have snuck in a trip. Um, 
it's not it's, with the tracker you've placed it's, on me. It's the worst. It's absolutely. It's everything is like superheroes painted on plywood, leaned up against walls. It's horrible. I've seen photos. I have heard, however, conversely, that Spider-Man: The Ride is the gold standard for what everybody would like to do with superhero rides. It might but, have been a long time ago, but it's it's okay. It's yeah. It's, I, yeah. I I don't know. I'd like to I'd like to ride it once before it goes away. You know, yeah. if it if it it sounds like I know something, and I, and I don't. I just think I can't believe that Disney hasn't figured out like some way to pull the trigger on getting those those characters out at it you know in five by universal (laughs) well okay that's not that crazy right since we get fox (laughs) back uh you know so which you did want to mention so that you know to follow up on a story when we talked about the deadpool before christmas uh for that they changed the title to once upon a deadpool and Mm. it's the pg-13 version of deadpool 2 with new footage inserted to kind of narrate and gloss over the r-rated portions and it will only play in theaters for a week and uh so it's kind of a you know a special edition i I thought you were gonna say it'll only play in theaters for a week which is just about the time people should catch on to what they've done (laughs) yes well that may be except look the fact that it, apparently that was that this was real that still was was really a thing of that an adult Fred Savage is in the recreation of his bedroom from yes. the Princess Bride that that may actually be the framing sequence <laughs> I'm going to pay money for it I'm totally going to pay money for it so uh, I'm I'm excited but yes I, I it's interesting because that might be the sort of by experimenting with this, it is bridging and maybe providing a way that Deadpool could exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a PG in a, what has so far been a strictly PG thirteen world. Right, PG thirteen on account of violence. Right, yeah, so. right, 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 right. Uh, although Deadpool is also for sexual situations, and I think oh yeah, Deadpool, goats, but goat the other squeezing. One, the other yeah. ones are strictly violence there's no language there's no right 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 right. so i I think it's providing a pathway Uh, and you know who knows or that that we may have this concept of which has been a while since i've seen a studio do this of like there are r-rated versions and then a pg-13 version comes or a pg version like i remember as a kid that happened with saturday night fever that they they released it at rated r and then they and then they edited it slightly and re-released it as a pg yeah i know what's edited yeah yeah well i mean regardless it's just kind of uh, there could be two versions and so i don't know it's just kind of interesting to see what will happen let's turn to tv because just hours ago news broke today that bob Iger has announced that diego luna will return as cassian andor for a live action series on disney plus which had previously been announced as Disney Play, but now it is uh, the new name is Disney Plus. So it's a spy thriller toned uh, prequel TV series to Rogue One. I love the fact that they, they use live action series here with with. Uh, he's not doing voice. I know that there's there could be confusion if he was just doing the voice. Well, on, yeah, on but a, I mean because they're going to revive Clone Wars, so right, right. right. But the live so, action, the live action series in a prequel, because obviously they can't do a sequel as a live right. action. <laughs> Spoilers: Everybody in Rogue One died. What? Uh, <laughs> so, 
right. Sorry. Spoiler. Uh, but it's been out a few years, so I think people probably know that by now. But it's interesting because that means that's the second live-action series that Disney Plus will have that is Star Wars related the because Mandalorian, they, right? the Mandalorian, right? Yeah, John Favreau. Yeah. At the same time, they did announce that they have killed all plans for a Boba Fett solo film. But the thing is with the Mandalorian, I don't need a Boba Fett solo film. I want to see somebody in Mandalorian armor on a TV series. I'm fine with that. You know, although we're back to, uh, you know, are you going to pay for that streaming service? Uh, you know, maybe, Probably. uh, <laughs> Probably. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. Also announced today, Jeremy Irons, who is Alfred in uh, Batman v Superman and Justice League, has been cast as Ozymandias for HBO's Damon Lindelof produced slash created Watchmen series. So one thing that's been going with this series, and this is interesting, uh, I, I, I don't, I honestly don't know how I feel about... I, I'm fine with the casting of Jeremy Irons. I just wish Jeremy Irons were 30 years younger, except yeah, that's, that, that's, that's, ex- uh... except that what they're saying is this Watchmen series is really set as if it was 2018 in the world where the events of Watchmen uh, happened in 1985. Now, that could be interesting. Yeah. So Dave Gibbons has seemed to have kind of tacitly given approval you know, he's not upset about it because it's like it's, it's its own thing. And it's not like the DC before Watchmen. And Doomsday Clock, I'm not even sure. I am I think I'm a couple of issues behind and I realized, yeah, I'm not, I guess really I'm not bothered that I'm behind. Um, whereas I, like the- it too. I like it too because the it gives them an opportunity to, to hire a lot of um, non-standard actors, older actors, both men and women, who don't necessarily get that type of roles. Um, they yeah. Could be really, the more I think about it, the more it could be. It could be really good. And and it's more like focusing on. Uh, and they said this, and there are a lot of actors cast with roles that people don't know. You know, that with I mean, the character sure. names are like unfamiliar, and that is because one of the things is Lindelof is interesting interested in exploring. Well, what was the real impact of all that, of all those events? How do people go on after that? And with the journal having come out. Now, granted, it's a sequel thing, and and I still stand by. I will agree. Those 12 issues of Watchmen are probably, I don't know if you'd call them perfect comics. But as a story, they're solid. They still hold up. My son just read it finally. I said, yeah, go ahead and and read it. We haven't watched the movie. Uh, But... He read it, and I said, well, you know, does it work for you? You've read all these books in the aftermath that were influenced by it, so what does it feel like to go? And granted, I always know, you know, Kid Macaw is a slightly different case, and even he says that as, like, I don't know if I would read comics if I didn't have you as a dad, you know, and, and he says, but I'm into him. And so I don't know if the average person does. And I kind of follow up with Dave McGuire on that, but it, it, because he was reading Watchmen for the first time, it still holds up. It's a wonderful, it's a great story in and of itself. And as you and I have talked about, certainly there's an inconclusiveness to the ending that I find still being the ending. I don't need to see what happened after that. But if someone's going to, because again, I understand this is how the business works. Sequels happen, remakes happen. Look, I mean, 
I'm grateful that people still want to perform Hamlet or I would never have gotten to play Claudish. You know, it's like when you think about plays, that's people are remounting plays and doing their new take and their new version of, of classic plays all the time. And nobody says boo. So in movies and TV, that's, that's just going to happen. But if you're going to truly do something new, and I think that's what Damon Lindelof is doing. And I'm also going to say he's got the credentials, not just for co-creating lost and uh, the leftovers, but, I know his bona fides are he is an insane Watchmen fan. And he he loves that that graphic novel. He knows that story inside and out. And so do you think that he will stick with the graphic novel ending versus the movie ending? I don't know. I'd be okay with you either way, quite honestly. Really? Okay. I mean I mean I I, I don't know. Because I, I think I, I'm in the big minority. Is we're just telling the story on screen. I think that the movie ending was a better ending, and I know that you know because he had been on record for this for a long time. Len Wein, who edited Watchmen, didn't like the graphic novel ending. It was uh-huh. two Twilights and uh, Outer Limits, right? It's not uh, uh, the Architects of Fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is an Outer Limits episode that basically tells has that same twist. Right and right. Uh, so I thought that the movie ending made it was a solid, a more solid storytelling choice. So, but you know, if he's going to do it as a sequel to the graphic novel, then okay, a giant yeah. uh, alien squid thing landed from another dimension yeah. from another dimension landed and and killed. I mean, either way, point is half of man of New York was wiped out. Right. So. Right. What I liked about it was in the in the graphic novel, it tied together so many crazy things that have been going on yeah. that were leading up to that. You could not get a sense of what it was leading up to. Right. Which and I thought was and, better than, than the oh it's a bomb. Yeah. Well, but they're all but all those things are missing from the movie as well. You know? And I would go through as much as I do again, I'm in the minority. I don't think it's a bad film. There are many mistakes yeah. in it. But I don't think it's a bad film. We could debate um, that a little while. I think there are there are still a lot of remnants, especially the the well, Osmandias. But, but I would go back with this thing that Terry Gill- Gilliam had said early on when he was involved: is like it needed to be a miniseries in the first place. Yeah, two and a half no. hours was not enough time to capture the depth. I mean, even now, I think on Amazon Prime you can get the extended cut, which includes the tales from the Black Freighter right. and and all the you know the things that he tried to do to put. The instead of a di- instead of the journal or the book uh, under the hood, no behind the behind the mask. That was the and the Hollis Mason had written. You know they did it as a documentary, like a uh, a nineteen seventies documentary series. You had you know a half hour news special on Hollis Mason, the, the right. first night owl, and you know I mean and they were cool little touches, but it's still you know you only got those if you had like an extra DVD for a while. They released it as a separate thing, and it. You know, so it should have been a miniseries in the first place, and but it's done, and it's in people's consciousness. There's a lot of people that only I know this is going to give us both the heebie-jeebies. There are people that know Watchmen only because of the movie. Yeah. So hey, here's our opportunity to put that link back into the (laughs) onto the Fanboy Planet page of read the actual Watchmen. It's a great book, Uh, but. you know, the, the the thing is that there are people that, you say, if they know it from the movie, then you can't remake that. 
but do the sequel series. I'm intrigued. I, I trust Lindelof, and it'll be really interesting to see. And I think that I may have like geeked out about this when the rumor broke, but it did officially get confirmed this week. Back to, are you going to join this other streaming service? Uh, DC <laughs> Universe officially announced that friend of Fanboy Planet and friend of oh, mine yeah. since he was 17, Derek Mears is officially cast as Swamp Thing. And I'm super, super jazzed uh, because this is... A, a week where I, I just say, and some people just don't believe me, is I'm genuinely, sincerely, I love to see friends succeed and to have worked really hard in the industry. And, you know, Derek has had some really high-profile roles. But this is, I think, possibly the first high-profile role in which he will get a chance to prove that he is not just scary. Because I think it was the Variety article, and it, it really irritated me. I can't. I, I, I shouldn't besmirch Variety. I read a news piece on it that that talked about how he is basically known for these scary, you know, one-dimensional. Although many people argue that his Jason, his version of Jason in the Friday the Thirteenth reboot, has a little more depth than any of the others. But I, I can't speak to that because it's the only one I've seen. I, I've never seen the original Friday the 13th, uh, or part two, rather, because Jason is not the killer in, in part one, I understand. Uh, please do not uh, ghostface killer me, yeah, you know, like Scream. Uh, so, anyway, that, uh, you know, he's usually cast to be just the bad guy. But because I've known him for so long, and I knew him in the context of doing improv and hanging out, and I'll, I'll share this, this thing of, like, hanging out... Uh, on, in front of the storefront where they were performing comedy sports in Bakersfield. And the moment that we both discovered that we were comic book fans and just talked for like an hour about comic books and neither one of us said, what, we're both named Derek and love comic books? Huh. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, I've not, and he was like 19 maybe when, it, when, it when we figured that out because you're only seeing each other at like inner city competitions for a while. And that was the moment I think, you know, we as we often do, bonded over comics. Uh, but I've seen him portray so much fun stuff. And I also want to say he's still performing in Los Angeles, although I think their venue changes around with his improv group, The Resistance, where they improvise an action movie uh, every show. They get suggestions from the audience. They take a different subgenre of action thriller and improvise a, a scene. And he'll play six or seven characters all very distinct and yet you look at him and go yes there's no mistaking this Derek Mears just this guy who's I think six foot seven and you know he's a very imposing physicality but he knows how to use it and can be he, I've seen him play women on stage I've seen him play little kids uh you know and all of it believably you can put that aside so he's he's just one of the funniest sweetest kindest guys I know and it is you know if, if you're going to cast somebody as one thing that actually kind of makes sense to me. Someone who can be angry and scary where they need to be, but also someone who can be, uh, who can show a very gentle side, which I think Dick Durock did capture in the quite honestly awkward, as much as I might have loved that Wes Craven first one, you know, Swamp Thing, the movie with Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. Um, but Ray Wise, uh, you know, from Twin Peaks was Alec Holland, and they've done the same thing here. They've split it. Andy Bean will play Alec. 
Alec Holland, so I'm sure they'll have kind of an origin sequence, and then they'll do you know flashbacks. flashbacks yeah. But I'm really uh, I'm I'm still presuming that Derek gets to voice the character because he's a tremendous vocal actor as well. And uh, so, aside from this was being a, a series that I was super excited about anyway. And James Wan is the producer. I think we, we have mentioned this before. So he's the guy that's uh, direct wrote and directed uh, Aquaman coming, which is, you, you know, are we less than a month? Oh, my gosh. No, we're a month and a half away from Aquaman. Uh, I, my spider senses were tingling. <laughs> uh, you know, He's just overactive. No, you know, it's because I've just been so busy and I, you know, I've been a little out of touch with stuff. Like, you know, uh, we, we just had a conversation last night about, I want to see that movie. Oh, it already came and went. <laughs> you know, like I just had no time. Uh, that was the house with the clock in its walls, and we we're talking about oh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I'm sure is a cheese fest and you know whatever. But you know, realizing that it's like I've lost all sense of oh my gosh, movies that I want to see are like they're here now, and we got to get there. So anyway, uh, so this is exciting. They've announced you know somebody playing Matt Cable. They've announced. Uh, uh, General Sunderland is going to be a recurring villain. I don't think that they've announced someone for Arcane, but it just—it's going to shape up to it's—it's it's produced by James Wan, who is another one of those creators who I know he gets it uh, because his horror films have been fantastically disturbing. Uh, I'm a—I'm actually a, a fan of the Conjuring series, and I think you know he's—he's he's good with that. You know, he was one of the co-creators of Saw. And a movie that really <laughs> disturbs me when I think about it too much, Dead Silence, the killer ventriloquist movie, Ghost Ventriloquist. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen Dead Silence? No, I, I know about it. But <laughs> oh, it's, <laughs> it's it's too many things at once. <laughs> it's beautifully disturbing. It's just, And yeah. it's like I had a DVD of it, and I, I gave it away because I'm like, I'm never going to watch this again. And I really, really regret it because it's almost climbing up there in my mind with – silly fun spooky creepy like uh killer clowns from outer space you know right. i love i love when you slather on the cheese well and still manage to disturb me and so that that's that so and i think that's you know that's one thing so i'm excited about that and i think that's a good place but, to one more thing one more thing because we i one know more you, has happened well i know you are a fan of america's got talent just as i am right Oh, right. Ragdoll. Ragdoll. Uh, um, forgotten his name now. Uh, James. Uh, uh, what's his name? Well, you know, here's the problem with America's Got Talent because I felt suckered in. Yeah. When I realized that he was actually on Channel Zero. Oh, was he? Like was he? last season, and I didn't realize that because I I need to go onto my Shutter app. Troy and watch James. That. Troy James. So they're building the next season of Channel Zero around him as the monster. And when you watch America's Got Talent, which I've noticed this about America's Got Talent, they act as if you as if these people have never never been on stage, had a profile before. Right, right. And I do believe when Troy, because I do understand, I have so many actor friends that are, you know, you see them on TV and they're struggling to get by. That's not their job. They have to, you know, and so when he said he worked in HR on, on AGT, I went, oh, but come on, after this he's going to be, you know, and then and then they announced he was Ragdoll, and I went, that's awesome, he got an audition out of this, and then went, oh, wait a minute, he has a reel. 
you know, like he's he's been there, he's been there before. Like when it's a nightclub act, I don't mind. I totally get like when right, Puddles' right. pity party showed up. It was like, well, he's had a nightclub act. It's just he doesn't have mainstream success when standups are on there. But when something like that, you know, oh, he's already been working in, but the story never acknowledges that. A few years ago, somebody, a cast member of Eternity, the movie was was competing musically, and they, of course, never referred to Eternity, which sure. I thought was just a mistake. Um, I would have voted for her if she had. Uh, but anyway, it's... Uh, but yeah, I I have not watched the episode, because I think it... Is it tonight, or... It may be tonight. I always lose track, because it's... I lose track of what night. Uh, what, yeah, exactly, the DVR. But yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago, weekends ago... Uh, no, Saturday night, my son and I watched it, watched, caught up on The Flash, and I said, you got to watch the trailer for next week. you got to watch the trailer for next week. Yeah. And he doesn't watch America's Got Talent, which really surprised me because it's something his mother would, I thought would, and I, this is not a dick, you know. It's like I thought that she would, because she was a big American Idol fan, I would have thought she would be watching that. And I, and I said, and they showed just a little glimpse of Ragdoll, and I said, that's real. That's no CG, and that's why they're right. doing it. That's why they're making him the villain of, or, or the the creep of, uh, of Channel Zero as well. Because my God, the money they save on special effects, just hiring this actor who can really bend like that. So I plus, I mean, it, that is then becomes one of the most accurate page to screen translations of a character. Yes, yes. you know so. Uh, perfect casting i'm very yeah it's it's not it's not uh i don't think it's showing up until the 14th mm, okay maybe there's a week or two off i don't know yeah i think they so. say i've lost track i've well, lost 11 track. 13 it's 11 13 is is one of the plays oh my mother's birthday so uh <laughs> congratulations mom well, yeah what a, hmm. uh, we won't be watching the flash uh we, we, at grandma's house uh but uh yeah, no, I'm with you. We wait for it also the DVR because the only thing that I, which is weird, the only thing that I make truly appointment live television right now is the Good Place. Yeah, like, I wanted. I can't to, stand I, missing it. I can't stand waiting. I have, I have one. I have one that I'm backed up on right now, but I have one other recommendation because oh, sure. we've, we've dissed this so much, and this season is actually really good, and that is Arrow, because in this season, at the end of last season. He had to make a deal with the government uh, to let his whole crew go when it was pretty much evident that he was the arrow. Mm-hmm. And he went to he's he's in jail now. So yeah, this is doing this Supermax. Is, and this is this is really some of the best arrow since like the second season. The so first season was this, okay. Second season, season was awesome. Seven. I think so. Uh, yeah, his. I, I think if they're going to follow, and I think we've said this before, I think this is a chance for them to really wrap up the Arrow saga, let Stephen ML kind of take a little time off, and then come back in guesting on other series, and uh, and clear the way for something like Batwoman or Superman to show up, or you know, my hope and fear at the same time is. You can put some position some of the Arrowverse on DC Universe. Yeah, and well, I, th- I think this is this is um, you know Arrow started off kind of weird because he was actually killing people, and this is season seven. Yeah, um, and so in this case, he's going to jail. He's doing his time. This is his redemption story, which puts him kind of into the 
position of the classic Oliver Queen, who I think he eventually gave up his secret identity. Yeah, yeah. I'm and, not sure where he fits in the New 52 or the Rebirth. Yeah, no, but. I, my but, son would know. He was reading it for a while. So yeah. So so this is kind of like I, I'm really enjoying the because you know it used to it used to say at the end he said I am the arrow and now he says I am inmate four five two three two one you know it's like it's really it's it's uh it's it's worth watching and they're only uh, four or five episodes in right now so easy to catch up on. I, it's easy for you to say. <laughs> so. Easier to catch up on than a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, well, like I said, I've been busy. I gotta, I, I gotta uh, binge uh, Titans because I'm, I'm two episodes behind on Titans. Uh, on uh, which is, you know, last week they introduced the Doom Patrol, which, well, rightly or wrongly, now I love the subscribe. Doom Patrol. I've got to yeah. subscribe now. Oh, uh, and it, you know, I gotta brag, man. I Earth Two Comics uh, had this omnibus sale, so I curse you. Because you convinced oh. me to finally give into omnibuses, and they had a half price sale, so I got the wow. entire run of the Silver Age Doom Patrol omnibus. Oh. oh, and I am grateful that I am with someone who, when I turn to her and say, "Can I?" <laughs> she says, <Yes>. "You must." <laughs> That's exactly what she said. Yes. So, <laughs> so the, who was the Doom Patrol? It was the the general. Was he the uh, the old the old their their arch General villain? Mortis is their arch villain. Yeah, yeah Mortis. Mortis. Yeah, that's right. And okay. so it's it's the chief negative man, robot man, and uh, Elastigirl. 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 Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's who they put on Titans. That cool. it's it's that is that group and you know Timothy Dalton is playing the chief, Brendan Fraser is Robot Man. Oh, that's cool. The, yeah, <laughs> you know it's like I, I'm so mad that I have not had time to watch it yet. I'm like I must know. Do they do uh, flashbacks of him as Brendan Fraser? I, in, in uh, no, 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 they have uh, they have a different. No, no, you're right. Yes, they fly. I think they. I think because I haven't watched it yet, but. What I read was when they were developing the actual series Doom Patrol because it will spin off. Is that Brendan Fraser will be will be Cliff Steele in pre-accident form, and then okay. there's another actor wearing the armor, but he's still the voice. Okay. So that's you know, yeah. So anyway, I you know it's it's once again too much good stuff, and Christmas is yeah. coming. So. <laughs> let's let's wrap up and then let's discuss what we say about that. In the uh, we do have more interviews coming, and uh, and I'm hoping to line up a couple of, uh, a couple more that maybe we can do a little more live. But uh, you know we do have some LA Comic Con stuff coming in the weeks ahead, as well as I said, there's a sack anime, and I'm trying to come back around to somebody that I that we promised that he and I said, oh yes, we will sit down and we will talk about your career in video games and and anime. And then we we just really have not had a chance to to meet up again and, and have the conversation, but plenty of things lined up. And so keep listening to the Fanboy Planet podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of Fanboy Planet, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for, for good. good.
And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.